And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 2 with me. I want to show you this today. And as we dive in Acts 2, we're going to really study 42 through 47, but I'm going to start reading at 36 here in a second. But while you're turning there, here's the problem, church. We have a big problem, okay? A lot of people, if not most people, I think we're all kind of guilty of this, we associate church with a building, right? And we can say that's not true all day, but I think we all know that in our culture, there is an overassumption that church is tied to a building. Listen, we have a building, we're glad, we call this thing the old ship, you know, because it's like really old, you know, but we're trying to make it fit for us in New Day Church, right? But what we think is people far too over-associate the church with a building, and I can prove it to you this morning. If you go to Webster's, the biggest dictionary, Merriam-Webster's, the, the dictionary everybody uses in our day, in our culture, number one, literally, this is what a church is defined as. I'm not making this up. I got it up on the screen. Their definition is a building for public and especially Christian worship. <laughs> that is their definition for what a church is, a building for worship and especially Christian worship since it's, a, it's kind of associated with Christianity. But the question we started asking last week was this. If all we had was the Bible, if this was the only thing that we had, and we said, we're just going to open up this book, we're going to go to the book of Acts like we're doing this morning, we're going to read it, we're going to learn from it, because it was historically the greatest movement in the history of the world. Even if you're not a Christian, right, no movement has been more successful than the church. And so we're going to open this book, we're going to read it, and not, we're not going to consider our culture or how we were raised or the assumptions we've seen or the things on TV. We're literally just going to do church the way that they define it in the Bible. What we would see is the church is not a building, but it is a people that meets in large gatherings, but also in small gatherings. Because so often what happens in the church, and I grew up in this kind of environment, so I know this is true, We'll, like, we'll get in church and I'll say like, yeah, yeah, church is not a building. You're like, yeah, pastor, preach. It ain't a building, it's a people. Like, yeah, it ain't about the building. You know, everyone's like, it's like, it's like a good preaching point. You know, be like, amen, you know. But like, if the only place that we ever get together as the church is in the building, do you think that's a little confusing to the world and to us? I think that's extremely confusing. And what I love about Jesus and his ministry is he's loving, he's kind, he's compassionate. But man, Jesus is also willing to confront. And Jesus will call people out. And sometimes as the church, we have to admit, even though we know in our heads church is more than a building, that maybe the reason why that's so confusing in our world is because we don't have a rhythm for bringing the church into the home. And so that's what I want to lay before you here as we read our passage today. And the good news is today is that what God lays out in Acts as his design for the church, which works, is far better than what most of us are used to. And what God offers is the true spiritual family that we all long for. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do open to Acts 2, and would you stand with me at this time? We're going to study 42 through 47, but I'm going to begin today by reading in verse 36, where Peter proclaims the gospel. And what I want you to note is the gospel is proclaimed, people are saved, but then notice how they begin to live together. It says in verse 36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Picking up in verse 42, this is how they begin to respond and live. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. And so if you weren't here last week, I want to give a quick review of the series. If you're, if you're new today, this is week two, so you're getting in from the very beginning, which is a good time to be here. But let me recap. So the book of Acts was written by Luke, and Luke was a doctor, very detail-oriented, really intelligent guy. And God has Luke writing the Bible because we believe that God really wants us to know the details of the early church. God wants us to be a part of this kind of movement And so God details in the book of Acts kind of how we can live that out. And so in Acts 1, we see Jesus coming to the disciples and saying, listen, like, okay, I'm about to give you a massive mission. You're going to go around the world, right? But before he tells them that, he says, don't worry, I'm going to give you my power. You're going to wait and my spirit's going to fall on you. It's going to empower you. It's going to be my power working through you in this world. And then you're going to go all over the world to make disciples. You're going to change the world and be a part of my redemptive plan for the world. And then Jesus ascends back into heaven where he is waiting until the day when he finally returns again to make all things new. And while they're waiting, they replace a leader. They replace Judas, one of the disciples who betrayed Jesus. They replace him with a guy named Matthias. And then we move to Acts 2, which is our chapter for this morning. The church is gathered, like Jesus said, and they're waiting, and the Spirit of God falls in power. People begin speaking in tongues, which means just like different languages. The gospel is being proclaimed in many different languages, and it's a major metropolitan area. And all these different kinds of people are hearing the gospel in their language. So it's this miracle showing how the gospel is going to go all throughout the world to all different kinds of people. And then Peter, because, you know, Peter's a preacher, gets up, just starts preaching to everyone, like preaching the gospel. And basically calling out the Jews and saying, man, like, this was God in Christ, and you killed him. Okay, you didn't want him. He was before you. Think you know the law. You think you know everything, but God was in front of you, and you didn't even recognize him, but you have a chance to repent. So believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus was the one true son of God. He is the propitiation for your sins. Believe him, and you will be saved, and 3,000 people get saved. I mean, it's a massive revival. It says they were cut to the heart, and 3,000 people believed. Yet it doesn't stop there. And this is what I want you to see today, that Acts 2, 42 through 47, this beautiful image of fellowship and community 
is built on the gospel because what Luke is saying here in this passage, because Luke is a detail-oriented guy, he's like, hey, look at this. Look, like, you need to see what's happening here. Luke is detailing us that literally when the gospel goes forward, a community is formed. And so a bunch of people get saved, they believe the gospel, but they don't have any cultural assumptions about what the church is supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do. They weren't raised a certain way, if you will, and trying to live that out. They just begin to naturally respond to the gospel and begin to form a very loving and supportive community. They're really a part of something special. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Something special, something unique, something that you're caught up in. When I was growing up, people always asked, like, well, you know, did you, did you grow up wanting to be a preacher? I'm like, no, I didn't know you get paid to be a preacher. You know, I didn't know it was a job growing up, right? I was trying to make it in music back in the day in my former life, right? It's like I wasn't trying to be a preacher. I was trying to get signed by Warner Brothers, you know, which didn't happen, which is why I'm here right now. I love you guys. I'm glad to be here. Um, my plan B was actually God's plan A, which is how it works in life a lot of times. But anyway, so I was in this band, and it was so fun, man. We recorded music, and we released it. Uh, we played shows at all the different venues in Houston, Fitzgerald's, Warehouse Live. Remember the engine room back in the day we played there? Um, it was so fun. We released music. I had this, this great bandmates. But one of the coolest things about being in a band that I, I didn't really know was a thing was as we began to kind of do the music thing, there was like this really cool community that began to form around the band. It was kind of our fans, but it was really just our friends, you know, that kind of liked us and were supporting us, you know. Um, and, uh, and, but it was so cool because like we were this band, but there was like this kind of friend group or this really tight-knit community that began to form around the band. And it got to the point where like every time we would play a show, it was not a question of like if there was going to be an after party, but like, hey, where's the after party going to be? Like it was assumed, okay? And actually, I like playing the shows, but my favorite moments, honestly, were the community. My favorite parts were after the show, we'd leave and everyone would go to someone's house, go in the backyard, start a bonfire, break out the acoustics, sing some songs, sing some Taylor Swift, sing some Nirvana, whatever we were singing, right? And we would gather together and we would like share food together. There was this beautiful community that began to form around this really special thing we were a part of. And that's what the church is, but like a million times more. And that's what Luke wants you to see today in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Look there with me. So the gospel has been proclaimed. People have gotten saved. And look, church, how the early church that forever changed the world, look how they respond. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, what Luke is noting for us here is that this spirit-empowered church movement that forever changed the world went far beyond the church gathering and began to invade every part of life, including the home. And the first thing I need you to see today is this. The gospel creates bold community. Not just community, not just like we have some friends, but it creates a bold community. And if you don't know the context of kind of like religion in the first century, this might not really stick out to you, because I think we have some framework for what it might look like to be in a small group or a community group. But like in this day and age, the idea that a church would gather in a home for like spiritual God kind of things was radical. Okay, this is the first century. Religion's a very formal, very structured, very organized kind of thing. 
And so if you would want to go meet with your God or make a sacrifice, you would go to the temple. And you would do religious things at the temple or the religious place. You know, you had that place. Then you had like your workplace. And then you had your home, which was your personal life. But those things were not connected. And so Luke, who's like this early biographer of the church, is saying, man, like, this was so intense, this was so beautiful, this movement was so powerful, that they were literally getting together in homes. They were devoted to, it says, the teaching of the apostles, what they were learning. They were devoted to fellowship, doing life together, breaking of bread, sharing meals together, and praying for each other. And yet the same way I think for a lot of people um, in the first century how this was a radical concept, I still think for a lot of us that's radical too. I think kind of the way that I grew up, like a lot of people, it's like you went to church for church and when you came home, that was like your house, you know? And it was very different from church, right? It was like, well, if I want to do God things, I go to the church building. But what we see is this moment where people are so transformed by the gospel that it invades every part of their life. And so this bold community is demonstrated in that it's not just at the building, but they're gathering together in homes. But the question is today, why? Why did the gospel create this kind of community? Why did they respond this way? And the first reason is because literally when you know that God loves you, and when you begin to truly, truly love God, you begin to love God's people. One of my favorite moments uh, in the ministry of Jesus is when one of the Pharisees comes to him and they're trying to trip him up, you know, trying to get him to say something wrong to prove he's not the son of God, but he always pones them and he always gets it right. It's so awesome, you know. And uh, they come up and they're like, well, okay, teacher, like, um, what's the, because there's all these laws and all these commandments, all right, what's the greatest one since you're so good? What's the greatest commandment? Like, what does it all come down to? And you probably know this because it's really well known. He says, okay, the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? Love the Lord. I have no other idols before. Like, love God. But then he goes on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, love other people. And when I was growing up, I used to think that the reason why he did that was to give him like a twofer. He's like, I know you asked for one, but I'll give you two for free, you know? That's not what he's doing there. He's not just naming the second one to give him two for the price of one. The reason why he names the second one is what he's showing them is literally number two is directly connected to number one. And he's showing the Pharisees, he's kind of like trying to convict them by saying, literally, you think you love God, but the fact that y'all don't love people is proof that you don't really love God. And so the reason why the early church was devoted to each other was because they truly loved God. That when you really love God, the best way to demonstrate that is to love other people, to truly love other people. And that's what this church is demonstrating. The next thing is that they were saved and they realized they had all they needed in Jesus. And sometimes I miss the days of like my early salvation. Like when, it, when you came to faith, did you have like that moment where like you were like super on fire and you loved the Lord, you know? But then you get a job and then you get life and then, you, you know, you go through relationships and bad things happen and sometimes your passion kind of begins to, to wear off. What is so beautiful here is this church, they, they just got saved. They're, they're radically transformed and they're so focused on God that they're not overwhelmed by just like busyness or just making money in life. They're no longer under this illusion that like life is all about just making money or raising a few kids or having a comfortable house or, you know, trying to reach some ambiguous goal or dream in your life. Like those things are okay, but at the end of the day, they knew life was all about God and people. 
And so the early church had their priorities in order, and so they made time for each other. They made time for community. You know, so many studies show that on your deathbed, people only care about two things, their relationship with God and their relationships with other people. And the early church, as you see, as they're living this out, they, they have their priorities in order in terms of what really matters in life because the gospel of Jesus, when, when you walk with Jesus, your priorities are right in life. What's interesting is look at verse 42, that word devoted. That word, it says, and they were devoted. Um, the Greek word for that is proskotorero. And I'm horrible at pronouncing these words, by the way. Um, I did not do good at Greek in college, right? Um, but I love studying it. I love all the tools they have today that you can do these things with. And what's interesting is, because um, I've always loved this passage. I've always loved the church. And so I've studied this passage a lot in my life. Um, and I used to think that what the word devoted meant was like really zealous. They were really zealous for God, on fire and passionate and all those kinds of things. But though that's good, that's not actually what this word means. This word for devoted in the Greek actually means continued in, steadfast, or waited in. And so what Luke is not saying here, he's not trying to say, yeah, they were on fire and it was crazy and all things. Like, that's not what he's saying. What Luke is saying here is the gospel is proclaimed, people believe, and that word devoted is used as a bridge to say what happened in the public was continued in, they steadfastly stayed in those ways, even in the home. And so they're saying they weren't just praying in the temple. They weren't just worshiping in the temple. They weren't just fellowshipping in the temple. Literally, they were so zealous about this that they continued in, even in the home. And so Luke is noting at the beginning of the early church that they were so serious about this that it happened every single place that they went. And so as Christians and followers of Jesus, we love the gatherings, but we are Christians and following Jesus everywhere that we go. And this is the reason here at New Day why we do community groups. People always ask, well, how do you do community groups? And we literally just say, Acts 2.42. Okay, we get together and we, uh, we devote ourselves to the teaching from the week. We fellowship and hang out. Uh, my group has like 15 children running around like crazy monsters in it. And so there's a lot of fellowship and sometimes it's hard to focus, but we do our best, right? We break bread, we share a meal, and we pray for each other. That's how we do groups, that we continue in. And, and at least for me in my, my journey, um, when you begin to live in true biblical community with a consistent group of small people, what begins to happen is your faith really begins to take over every part of your life. Because I think for a lot of us, we have this mindset where like, I get drained by the world, and then I come to church empty, and I get filled up, and I go back, Right? But God's plan for us is that we would be filled up and in community, not just in this moment, but all throughout the week in different communities. So we see the early church living in bold community together to being devoted and continuing in the ways of Jesus. But then look at verse 44. It gets even better. In verse 44, it says, um, <laughs> man, what an awesome, beautiful thing. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, meaning they were sharing. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And so what Luke is saying here in this moment, he's saying, hey, look, like these people were caring for each other and they were meeting each other's needs. It wasn't just like some were giving and some were taking. What he's saying is everybody's coming into these communities and, and they're spending time together in community, which makes them able to know the needs of other people. And they are actually beginning to meet those needs. So the next thing I want you to see is the bold gospel creates bold generosity. The gospel creates bold generosity. And the reason why we call this generosity and not giving is because it's not required. And that's the coolest thing, right? Is that God tells us to be giving. God tells us to be loving. God tells us to be considerate. But like, it's not like we're saved because we do that. I mean, isn't that cool, right? That, that we're not commanded to give, that it's a free will offering to people. I'm not saved because I meet your needs, right? I'm loved regardless of that because I'm saved by what Christ has done for me, but I'm still compelled by that great love to love you and to serve you and to care about your very real and present needs. And what's so cool about this is generosity is saying, even if I don't have to do this, I love you enough that I wanna consider you and care for you. Uh, one of the things that uh, my daughter and I do is on Saturdays, we have like donuts with, with dad. And um, it's a really special thing. And um, hold on a second. And uh, my, mo- my Molly looks forward to it. She's three years old and we love doing it. But um, I kind of got in trouble uh, yesterday when we were doing it because I, um, I was really tired last week. And so I was like, you know, I'm sleeping in. Saturday's my one day to sleep in. So I'm sleeping in. And then I went back to, I went back to college, y'all. I slept like 12 hours, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah. Like, like I woke up like, like, man, where am I? You know, one of those, that's a good sleep, you know? It's like, man, where am I? You know, I'm in my bed that I'm always in, you know? Um, but that's how, like, you know, I got some good sleep. But I woke up, and it was like, man, like probably 10.30 or 11. I haven't slept that long in a very long time. Um, but the problem is, is because I go get donuts, I get my run in, which I know it's kind of stupid, but it's just the way I live my life, right? So I go run on Saturday mornings, and then I go get donuts because it kind of cancels each other out, you know? Uh, I'm trying to be in shape and enjoy my life. So, um, but I got up kind of late, and, um, and so it was 10.30, and so I knew there was going to be a problem because I went for my run, and I got back, and it was afternoon, like it was like probably 12.30. And uh, the donut shop that we go to is an amazing donut shop. I've probably mentioned it in a sermon before, but it's called Papa Son's Donuts over there off uh, Pine Mott and Ella. It's amazing. And um, we go there all the time, but it's like old school, like mom and pop shop. This ain't like Shipley's. And so like, if you get there too late, the donuts are gone. Like one of those, okay? It's like, sorry, there's no more like cinnamon cake because you got here too late. You know, you're, you're lazy. You didn't get any donuts, right? This isn't like Shipley's where it's like eternally supplied all throughout the day. This is different, you know? It's a different game we're talking about. So, um, so I, I knew it was going to be a problem. I was kind of afraid we're going to walk in there. There's going to be no donuts and have like this like traumatic experience for my three-year-old because like she looks forward to this so much. She always gets a blue iced sprinkled donut every time, right? And she doesn't eat the donut. She just eats the icing and don't judge me, okay? Because she likes it and, you know, we'll live a little. But anyway, so we walk in there and like I expected, we got there super late. And so we walk in there and I'm, like, I'm not kidding you. Like this, these donuts are usually like full and like stocked. There was maybe 12 donuts left in the entire thing of all the kinds that people don't want because people took all the good ones, you know, so all these like random things. And we walk in there, and I walk in there with, with Molly, and I'm kind of afraid we're not going to have the donuts, which I already noticed we don't have the blue ice sprinkles. So I'm like, I'm already in big trouble, right? And so we walk in there, but the problem is this other guy and his like teenage son walk in in front of us, 
And they walk in, I'm like, oh man, I hope they don't get a lot of donuts, you know, because we're not going to have, they were just going to walk out like super sad, you know, no, no donuts, you know, I guess go to go Shipley's, you know, but she doesn't like those. So, um, but anyway, so uh, the guy walks in front of us, and of course it would be this. He's like, yeah, uh, just give me whatever you got. Literally, say, he sees us behind him, you know. I'm with my little cute three-year-old little daughter. He's like, yeah, he didn't look at us. He's like, yeah, give me whatever you got. He was obviously going to some party, so he's like, yeah, I just need some donuts or whatever. And so the guy that's serving him gets this really big box and just starts filling them up. And I'm, we're just sitting there like, me and Molly's like looking at it. And we're just like, this is so sad, okay? But what was so cool was there's this lady that works there. And she's so nice. And every time we go, she's so nice. And she's working there too. And we're, me and Molly are standing there just like sad in the corner looking at all the donuts being taken, you know? And she sees us. And she begins to kind of notice, oh, what, what's happening? She, she sees the problem and the, the dilemma. And as a, I mean, and I know it sounds so small, but it meant so much to us and to my daughter. Like, she sees us, and she knows that this guy's about to take all the donuts. It's like donut hog guys, but take everything, right? So she goes over, she grabs the box, she's like, how can I help you? And she, she sees our dilemma, she sees our problem, and the second she says that, we're like, oh, okay, Molly, tell them what you want, you know, and thankfully we didn't get a, a blue ice sprinkle, but we got a pink ice sprinkle, so she was okay with that, right? But it meant so much to me as a dad, because like, she could have just sat there and said, well, he got here first, so he's going to get his donuts, and you know, we want to make sure we sell all these, and so you know, he'll go, that's kind of the order or whatever. But she showed compassion to us, she showed generosity to us, and that's what generosity is in community. Let me tell you why. Because we live in a world where it is very easy to ignore the needs of others. We live in a world where we can have our nice little home and our nice little family, and we can kind of create this bubble, and we, we kind of do our thing, and we, we kind of never look up. And what the beautiful early church did was they said, no, 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 I, I see your needs, and I want to help. Have you ever been left out of something? You've been left out. And though it's sad to get left out of a group or a game, a lot of people in life, they're, they're left out in life. Meaning they don't have the money that other people have. They didn't have the good parents that you had to raise them. They didn't have some of the advantages or the natural giftings that, that benefit so many of us. And the church is a place where we, we come together as a community and we are so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus because Jesus looked at our sin. He could have said, well, you messed it up, you sinned, you knew it was wrong, it's on you, sorry, I told you, you knew in your conscience, I made the mountains, you knew that I was real, and you sinned against me, sorry, it's just fair. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus saw our sin, he saw our brokenness, and he came into the world. He made your problems and my problems his problems. And he died on the cross and the greatest act of generosity ever. He didn't look away or act like it wasn't happening. He saw what was happening, he stepped into it. And that's what community is in the church. And that's why community and getting in groups and small groups is so vital because in the big gathering, we, we, we can't know what's going on in life, you know? It's like the classic, like, hey, how are you doing at church? Oh, wait, you're going to answer it? Crud, I don't have time for this, you know? I was just being nice as I walked by you. That we have to live out these environments where we get in homes and we actually have time to say, how are you doing really? 
and we have time to listen, and we have time to care and to respond. And so often I think our church experience, maybe it can be a little bit superficial or shallow, and we kind of blame the big gathering. Well, it's not personal enough for me, but this isn't supposed to be the most personal thing. That's not what this is designed for. This is preaching. This is worship. We have baptisms today. We take the Lord's Supper here in a few weeks. I mean, we do those kind of corporate things together, but there have to be smaller communities to really do life together. And you can see now with this beautiful community as they're meeting the needs of each other, how it's so not good enough to just say, well, church is a building we go to for an event once a week for an hour and a half. Look at the end of verse 44. It says they had all things, and look at that word, common. That word in the Greek is koine. It means they made their personal things common, meaning they, they, they didn't see what they had as just for them, right? They, they saw it as like, wait, I have a bunch of things, and like, I want other people to be able to benefit from these things. I love in the Hebrew, that word can mean defiled, Defiled means to make it not special. They, they defiled what was there so that other people could take share in it. We come together and we give that other people can be blessed by it. It's the reason why we give to our church and we support the church financially because think about this. We have something that we're doing right now that costs money to do. You know that. And yet you don't have to pay a dime to come in here. Like, please, if someone charged you admission, please let me know, because, like, that's not good, right? Like, get your tickets online, you know, church, you know? And if someone charged you for that coffee when you came in, you let me know, okay? Because we've got a swindler somewhere. And if you checked your kids into the kids' ministry, if they had to pay for that childcare, you let me know. I hate it when people say church is all about money. Church is the only place that is not about money, Everything else costs money. I mean, go to Starbucks and say, I don't feel led to pay for it. Well, I don't feel led to give you coffee. You know, it's like, what? You know, it's like, it's like the teaching, the music. It's all free. And you don't have to give. And you can, come, and you can never give a dime. And we want you here. And you are welcome. We give freely out of free will, out of generosity. Because that's how the church operates. All things in common, we give to the common thing, and then we get in community, and we meet the needs of people, we find out what they're going through, and we love them, and we spend time in together so we can know what's going on. A lot of people will use this verse oftentimes to point to like socialism or communism, because um, like, oh, it's kind of weird, it's kind of creepy, yeah. but it's not socialism or communism because it's not required, right? I mean, it's clear they had personal, I'm not going to try to get, I'm not trying to preach here, but like, it's clear they had possessions because it said they had possessions, so they own this stuff, right? The Bible's not against personal property. And the Bible's not about creating some like government system where you're forced to give because the moment you're forced to give, it's not generosity anymore. And so the church, we're a place, we give freely, right? Like the government, like it doesn't work. I mean, the government has to force you to give it money, okay? Like try not to pay taxes and see what happens, Right? They will bless you by sending you to prison, right? You'll be prison ministry from the inside, as they say, right? Like, like that's going to be you, okay? The government has to literally by force make you give it money. But the church is radically different because we are so overwhelmed by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. 
So there's this community that's happening. But what I want to note, the last thing on this point is, so often we don't notice the context. And what you have to realize is verse 44 and 45 are built on 42 and 43. And we always want to pull this verse out and we want to say, well, the church was loving and sharing and giving. But, but the reason is like the only way that could happen is because they were already living in community and getting together and making each other a priority. And listen, as, as, as your pastor, I want you to have a loving, supportive community around you. I want you to have people that know you and love you and care about you and that can meet your needs and walk through you with different things in life. But we have to make ourselves known and make time for community for that to happen. And so often we, we kind of wait till life falls apart and then we try to hop into a group or we wait till things are not good. And every time you join in community, you are investing in the day when you ultimately need it, but you're also going to meet other people's needs because it's not just about us. And so notice the only reason they're able to do this is because they have the community and the transparency and the consistency to know the needs of one another. So as we draw to a close today, I just want to finish with these last couple of verses, 46 and 47. As if living in this bold community wasn't enough and giving to needs wasn't enough. Luke closes by, by pointing out, he says, hey guys, listen to this. He says, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being And so I love this. What Luke is mentioning here is the same way we do it today. He said there were big gatherings in the temple. They were gathering for large gatherings, but then they were also gathering in the homes. There's this rhythm. And it says as they were doing this, they were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. So there's this like generosity that is growing and they're, they're happy and they're experiencing like the, the wonder of God in this moment. And then it begins to say that they began to gain favor with people because people were seeing this loving, bold community. It wasn't just a building. It wasn't just a service. They were taking it out into the neighborhood, out into the community. And people were seeing that and saying, I want to be a part of that. And it says 3,000 people got saved. The Lord added to the number every single day those who were being saved. And what I think Luke is showing us here is that bold community is the most compelling apologetic for the gospel. And a lot of times when I talk to people and they want to be effective in being a witness for Jesus in the world, sometimes we think we've got to learn a bunch of like arguments for God or the cosmological argument, like, well, everything is here, it's created, and there's a creation, therefore there has to be a creator, and you believe in God, you know, kind of thing. Or the moral argument, oh, well, there's, you believe in right and wrong, don't you? Well, who's ahead of right and wrong? There's a God who sets that, you know? We have all these arguments. We want to learn apologetics, and, and that's good to do. That, that's really good. But most people I know who decide to follow Jesus don't become a follower because somebody had this perfect argument. They became a follower of Jesus because somebody loved them because they gathered with the church 
They saw the love of Jesus in a noticeable kind of way. They, they saw how the church was different ultimately than the world. And so as we gather in community, we not only are being encouraged in ourselves and helping other people, but we're shining a light to the world because, listen, the world does not have this. The world doesn't have this kind of community, and we know it. And so what Acts 2 really just is, it's what Jesus said in John 13. They're just living out what Jesus said in John 13 and what I leave you with today when he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one You see, unchurched people in the world, they they will never see what we do in this building. But they will see how we live out in the community. And so as we draw to a close, I said earlier that Webster's defines church as a building. And one of the coolest things is actually literally right now, there is a church in Dallas that is making a petition to Webster's to actually change the definition from being a building to being a people. Like, you can actually go online and find it. You can sign it and be a part of that. I signed it last week. And whether or not we create a petition or we do things like that, how we live life together is us redefining in our day what the church really is. Church, we want to do community together. We want to walk together. We want to love each other in ways that other people will look at and say, man, that is truly the people Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this community, God. And we thank you that at New Day, we are a part of this movement that you're doing where you are building a people that are truly changing the lives of other people. Father, help us to love each other like that because that's what we long for. We long to be a people that when people look at us, they see the hope of Jesus and the goodness of your ways. God, this world might not follow Jesus, but they can know that we love each other in this church, in this city, with a love that is not of this world. Lord, I pray against any thoughts in our minds as to what church is or how it should operate, anything that's not in line with your word, I pray that would fade away. And I pray that your perfect ways would ultimately rise up in our hearts, Lord. We love you, Lord. I thank you for these people. I love them so much, Lord. I love doing life with them. I love gathering in our home every Wednesday night, talking about life, talking about what we're going through. I think that even as a pastor, I can just be a person. I don't have to be perfect, that I'm just like anybody else in this church. That I'm walking through life and I'm trying to follow God and I'm dealing with my own stuff and yet we're coming together as a community to say that nobody will have lack. That we can meet each other's needs and love each other with a gospel love. Help us to live that out. Help us to truly love one another. 
in all of your good, in all of your perfect ways. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.